Hey everyone, it's Dave here. Just want to point out before this episode starts that we recorded this uh, two weeks ago before I'm releasing it today. And uh, we talk a little bit about some of the court cases surrounding the presidential election. And since the time we recorded uh, this episode, there have been some things that came out in the news that, you know, uh, we don't mention in this episode because they happened after we recorded it. So in case anyone is wondering, you know, why we don't mention this or that thing that's happened in the last two weeks, that's why. It's because we recorded this two weeks ago. Uh, so I just wanted to put that out there uh, just so people weren't confused. And uh, thanks for listening and hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, listeners. We are back with another episode. Uh, just gonna have a conversation and get you guys some content because we know we know that you are all just chomping at the bit, waiting for your next Love Liberty podcast episodes. Our millions of fans, we love you, we adore you, and we wouldn't want to be the same without you. <laughs> Absolutely not, Stratty. How you been, man? You feeling better today? I know you said you were a little sick yesterday. Feeling a lot better. Yeah, I think I may have had the Rona. I really? was not very responsible. I did not uh, quarantine. <laughs> I did not social distance. I've just, I've just been around my house. Don't worry. I haven't killed anyone. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's if if I, if that's what I indeed had, I doubt it because uh, I was showing symptoms of the flu, not any I'm going to get into on the podcast. Yeah. For <laughs> sake. But, uh, yeah, I think I had the flu. I don't think it was the Rona, but yeah, it sucked. Uh, I'm feeling a lot better today. Woke up in a pool of sweat about two days ago. That's how I know I'm getting better. Yeah. Sweat it out. Absolutely. Uh, before, we, before I ask you how you've been, I want to say a quick, you know, rest in peace to Richie Allen, Dick Allen. I know, I think all our listeners know we're pretty big baseball fans. Absolutely. And uh, I don't know if he's in the Hall of Fame, but he damn sure deserves to be. I, 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 when you mentioned that he had died, I, I looked it up and uh, on YouTube, I found, a, I think it was like an MLB network thing where they were doing a, the case for Dick Allen Hall of Fame. And I mean, that mid-late 60s, early 70s, OPS plus, I mean, in terms of the bat in the box, no one was better, not even like Hank Aaron, really. Yeah, and he got Rookie of the Year with the Phillies, and I have an old Phillies card. I'll need to post a picture of it, of him. But uh, And he won MVP with the White Sox. He was just a badass dude. He looked badass. Yeah. He's a scary-looking dude. <laughs> like, if I was a pitcher, I would have hated to go up against him. But uh, how about you, Dave? How's the corner of the Midwest treating you? It's doing all right, man. It's getting colder. Uh, the weather always rusts your car to shit. My car's in the shop right now. The muffler oh, wanted is that why <laughs> the muffler wanted to fall off on me. This is actually the second car I've had happen. I had I had a Buick Park Avenue back when I was in high school, and the freaking muffler fell off on me. And now I have a Saturn, and the same thing. The muffler just fell right off when I was trying to go to my apartment. So I've been marooned at my mother's house waiting to get back and do some homework in peace but it's all right it's in the shop should be able to get it tomorrow so see we don't have that problem down south 
We don't we don't have your cold, yeah. hellish type winters. However, it is getting cold down here. It's about it's been in the fifties and forties for the last week, and it sucks. I'm sure, you can notice I'm very bundled up right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How cold is it? About fifty five, maybe. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's that's <laughs> ah, yes. season for southerners. Very cold indeed. So, uh, how about we jump right into you know our first topic of discussion, and this is something that stuck out to me, and uh, I know a lot of our Liberty friends on Twitter were very happy about it, but I don't think they really realized the implications of uh, the future of what this tells us. But um, there was a vote in the Supreme Court recently. I'm not sure what the case was called. But it was a five to four vote. Our girl ACB was the deciding vote. And it was about the Governor Kiyomos in New, in New York, his COVID-19 restrictions on churches and synagogues. And uh, like I said, it was a five to four uh, vote. And our First Amendment religious rights are being preserved for now. Because as it says in the article, which is on Law and Crime by Elora Nano, so I know I'm butchering that name. It, the SCOTUS rulings is a temporary one that grants the plaintiffs an, inju- an injunction that temporarily halts Governor Kiyomo's ex- executive order. The court's unsigned cur- curium opinion called the plaintiffs' need for relief essential and noted that the religious groups bringing suit have a strong likelihood of success on the merits. SCOTUS agreed with plaintiffs that the COVID-19 restrictions single out houses of worship for especially harsh treatment. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I've noticed that a lot. I mean, that's one of our rights guaranteed to us, that the separation of church and state. That's something that our founding fathers were big about, and uh, that's being infringed on big time now. And I know you're not a very religious person, but uh, you're open to religious people for good reasons. And I think this is a time in America where the fact that our religious First Amendment rights are hang, hung on by one vote in the Supreme Court. It's just scary to me. And it, God's uh, Christianity, you know, religion in general is just being sucked out of the West. Yeah. And I think it, that shows in the vote that, in that vote alone. Yeah. Um, it makes me very scared for the future. Uh, you know, I'm not the legal expert here. So before I get any further on, let's hear your thoughts on it from a legal point of view. Well, I'll get into the legal stuff in just a second, but my my first kind of thoughts is just kind of like how, you know, like you said, I'm not a religious person. Um, I grew up religious, but, you know, don't really believe it anymore, but I, I have a great amount of respect for it. And one of the things that I greatly respect for it is its focus on family, community, uh, and, you know, private charity, but also how when you believe in God— you, you you put your faith in God. Now, if you don't believe that God exists, then, you know, that's not too much of a problem, putting your faith in something that doesn't really exist. That's not as much as a problem as people who put their faith in the state. And the people who put their faith in the state, you know, they're the ones who are actually putting their faith in something that can come to your door with a gun, can actually shoot you, and that kind of thing. So I think that it's it is very troubling to see how people who the increasing secularization of our society without a concomitant you know change in philosophy uh to kind of fill the void that that religion has left i mean 
you know, we're just, we're just a religious species. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. We always grew up, you know, coming up with answers, seeing patterns in the world, trying to explain the world and grasping for understanding. And, you know, when, uh, when religion goes away, that leaves, uh, that leaves a hole in the heart and a hole in the mind. And the state is all too willing to just scoop that right in. I mean, yeah, you put word of that perfectly. I mean, the best way I can sum it up in quick senses statism is the new religion and it's scary it absolutely Um, is the the people they worship are not people that have the best intentions for everyone out there in this world i mean the definition of government in my mind is one group of people benefiting off the backs of others and uh you know for all the criticisms that each religion gets you know they kind of religious people usually stick to their own they usually kind of stay in their own little communities and go to their own churches they don't at least in the west you don't see religious people trying to impose with force their religions whereas the state is going going to impose their their yeah on you uh whether you like it or not in any i mean we see it today with this lockdown coronavirus hysteria crap i mean i can get into that but i yeah you worded that perfectly and it's it's just scary to me because so many mindless people are okay with the fact that religion is going away and their rights are being almost trampled on. Uh, they're okay with that because they, they think, oh, well, this virus is going around. People need to be protected. People need to be safe. But then if you give them the arguments against the virus that we present, they, you know, we're anti-science. We right. want to go out and kill people. And there's just no way we can win in that debate. Well, here's an interesting point too is the the deification of science. Yes. The deification of the experts, right? This this new priest class of of the scientists and experts who can tell us what we can and can't believe, what we can and can't do. I mean, this is this is you know, this is uh, uh, the, this is the religious kind of control of of people's minds that kind of used to exist in the past before reformations and stuff, but now it's jacked up on steroids with taxes, with public schools. You know, you know, I mean, the religious, the, any problems that religious, because obviously religious people are people, so they're sinners. They do bad things. As people are imperfect, that's the way it is. So obviously, you're going to have religious people who do bad things, who don't treat their children right whatever but that's much more particularized right but with the state you're saying everybody has to has to fund this and we have to we have these holy texts like the constitution or or whatever you know these these supreme court rulings that that can't be challenged and if you don't it's heresy you know heresy treason you know what i mean it's just like yeah it's it's the same mindset just in a different set of clothes and it's weird to see this battle going on in the courts to see that it literally is it's like two warring religions going to battle in the courts and it this what you just said reminds me of i watched jfk last night which is the oliver stone movie about the conspiracy around back. his assassination and to the left back <laughs> yeah, to the left to the left <laughs> yeah Joe Pesci just all laid out looking yeah. like a god but um yeah. i watched that last night and uh Great movie for all our listeners. I really recommend that. But there's that part where he's going up to the court and all the the press is coming after him and they're saying that he's trying to, uh, you know, delegitimize the American government and this great nation and all that we stand for. And he tells him, you know, 
Well, when our nation's going away from the truth, when, you know, basically, he doesn't say this, but, you know, when truth is treason and an empire of lies, then this isn't America anymore. And I think yeah. what we're talking about now really shows how much America's changed. And this isn't the same country that was founded in 1776. Yeah. This isn't even the same country that it was whenever Lincoln gave his, uh, you know, in my opinion, leftist revolution across uh, with what he did. It's not even the same nation that it was. It's not even the same nation it was in the 60s, 70s. You, you know, from the time I've grown up, it's changed so much. And just this this vote, as much, as happy as I am that, you know, it won, uh, the First Amendment won. But it's scary. It's scary that it's being challenged like that. And I, I can't even... I can't even put it into words, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I, wanted, I wanted to talk about this because of how much it shook me up, but it's so hard to put into words how much it's shaken me up. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just kind of like, it's, uh, I mean, just something as American. I mean, going to church on Sunday, that is as as American as Apple Pie, as the World Series, you know, that that is America, you know? Whether or not you're religious or not, that's like something, that's like something you're like, yeah, like, you have the right to believe in a religion, like, it's like, that's just it's simple yeah and i and i never went to church growing up but i know a lot of you know there's bad churches and there's good churches and there and in those good churches a lot of great is done yeah uh like a private charity uh voluntary help for people like addicts runaways uh people who've been abused giving people meaning and purpose yeah and i i mean religion i've become more religious in the past few months uh it's done a lot for me, and I just think that eventually it could be this great thing could be robbed of so many people. Yeah, because the government feel uh, the government justifies it with their yeah. little voodoo and right. Well, I think it sickens me. I think you also made a great point when you said, you know, this isn't America anymore, and this ties into something we're going to talk about in a future episode. I just did a deep dive into a great into a great talk um, that. Um, Sheldon Richmond did with uh, one of the Mises Caucus uh, podcasts, uh, Decentralized Revolution is what I think it's called. And he goes all into the Constitution and, he and you know, the history behind it and interpretation and lots of things we've been talking about before. So I want to do a deep dive into that talk because there's a lot of good information there. But one of the things he brings up is how any society is going to have a Constitution, whether it's written or not. Because the Constitution is basically just the ground rules and norms that people follow. You know, they can be expressly written down, like in a contract, in a homeowner's association or something like that. Or they can be implicit or tacit, right? And so, you know, this is something that Kinsella talked about when he was recently on Burning Boots and he was trying to, he was trying to explain to Davey that you know it's like if you live in a i know right it's it's hard <laughs> but, but he was oh my god he was trying to explain to davy about how like uh if you have a house in a in a neighborhood and there's just like a basic norm in your neighborhood that your neighbor can come up to your door and knock on your door to borrow your lawnmower for a day you know what i mean like that's something neighbors do and when you live in a neighborhood, there's kind of an implicit understanding that unless you put up the sign that says, you know, don't knock on the door asking for the lawnmower, you can you, you can do that. And that's not trespass or whatever. Like then if you say leave, 
I don't want to talk to you anymore. Then it would be trespass, but them just coming on. Also, the funny one of the other funny things he brought up was like, well, can you put landmines on your yard that might blow up if a child tries to go grab an errant frisbee or a tennis ball? You <laughs> know, and it's like, yeah. no, it's like if you go into a community. A neighborhood like that where people are living in close proximity, I think it's not unlibertarian to say that there are Im- implied rules and norms and just the way people act around each other built up over time that you can point to and say, hey, this is the way things work around here. And if you're going to live around well, here, then you're accepting that, right? Especially if it's a private property. Society. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that we, we understand. I don't, we don't need to get into how important property rights are to us and why they need to be upheld but if you're in private property society yeah there's going to be understanding yes there's going to be ground rules yes there's going to be uh you know norms and stuff to follow and if you don't if you don't want to get with it then get out i mean that's simple i mean i don't think that's a very hateful thing to say they're not going to kill you but they're just going to say hey this ain't the place for you exactly so uh, i'm sorry i just want to i just want to yeah because i went off on a little tangent there the point i was bringing up (laughs) The point I was bringing up with Richmond was that he kind of makes this distinction between like the written constitution and the real constitution, what he calls that real constitution, constitution, what constitutes a society, the rules, the order, the ways we solve disputes, the kind of things that the way we operate with each other. And so, um, yeah, what you said with how this isn't America anymore, it's like we might have the same written constitution but we don't have the same real constitution. We don't have the same values. We don't have the same understandings. We don't have the same, uh, those kind of implicit societal norms are changed. So if those have all changed, having the same written constitution isn't quite the same, isn't quite as strong as it otherwise would be. And I think we're seeing that play out in a five to four decision with a governor unilaterally saying that churches can't meet when in the name of this voodoo science where there's so much science in the opposite direction for court to say that they could know, you know, it's crazy. And I want to make this very clear to our listeners. It's not like they were telling these people, Hey, you just can't go to the church. And like, that's awful on its own, but it's not like they were just being that nice about it. There were literal videos out of, uh, I saw where they're taking little scanners or cameras or whatever. They're going up to synagogues, in the windows and making sure there's no Jews in there. And I'm like, whoa, people, is this not a little reminiscent of, you know, 1930s Germany? I mean, it's scary uh, that they're patrolling religious people like that. Did you see Michael Malice's tweet? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. People were so mad. And it's like, he's not saying they're the same thing. The people in the comments who couldn't get it (laughs) was crazy to me. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it is. uh, It is really crazy. um, Everything that's going on. And before you get to the legal part, I want to make one more comment. I mean, I I just this thought this thought hit me. I know we talk about it a lot, but it kind of goes back to what we learned from Judge Knapp and how much of this Constitution in this country changed because of the Supreme Court and all these things like the Commerce Clause and all, all this ridiculous stuff is what corrupted the constitution and ended up corrupting this nation because once they once they took that inch as the phrase goes give them an inch they'll take a mile and they're taking hundreds of miles every day yeah it's it's getting scary but uh you know i'm not the legal expert here so well any thoughts on this from a legal point yeah yeah so from a legal perspective i mean i think from what i 
I haven't read the case itself, but I read the article you sent me, and it was pretty, um, pretty well written. Um, it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't uh, very impartial, so I really appreciated that. It was just the information of of what they said. Um, but uh, as you mentioned, it it was a case for a preliminary injunction, um, which basically just means that they're going to say to Cuomo, "Hey, you cannot enforce this unless." Uh, you cannot force this until the case is resolved, right? So they're not saying at this point that the that what Cuomo was doing was illegal. That's not what they're saying. An injunction is a is a part of the law where they'll say it's a remedy in the law, and they'll say, "Look, there is a very high possibility that you are going to be irreparably damaged from this law or this edict, right?" Now, we're not saying that it's illegal. We still have to rule on that later. But right now, we, because you are likely enough to win on the merits, which is what you said in, in when you read from the, from the article, you're likely to win on the merits, and it's very likely that you will suffer irreparable damage. Now, irreparable damage you know, would be something like, uh, if you had a zoning dispute or if you had like an eminent domain dispute, right? And the government was coming in saying we have to bulldoze your house down because we're going to turn it into a nature preserve, right? Well, then if the government goes through with that action and then you sue them later, you can't get your house back. You know, you'd have to rebuild the whole thing and that would be serious time, cost, effort. So what the court would say is because the stakes are so high, we're going to say you can't enforce this until we rule later on the merits of the case itself. So it's 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 a it's a preliminary win but it's not a full win. So this is still a case that's going to move forward and they're going to rule on something later, but they're just saying right now we we have to stop you from enforcing this rule because if it's unconstitutional, we couldn't we couldn't remedy the the damages that they've that they've already lost in the past, right? Yeah. So I was going to ask, is that what they meant by temporary? Because right, exactly. When I read these articles, I'm kind of retarded in this regard, and all these are just words to me. So I was very confused on that. Thank you for clearing that up. Now, one thing I do want to get into, because, again, it was word soup to me, was Breyer's, I think it was Breyer, his dissent. Breyer, ha- Breyer has a good way of being uh, pretty wordy and a little bit less clear than some of the other ones at least in my opinion so i I gotta ask what did you think of the dissent let me see here he says justice Breyer wrote the elected branches of state national governments can marshal scientific oh yeah okay so yeah he's making the facts on the ground the scientific expertise um that kind of argument this is something that roberts did in the past when we were talking about um when when we were doing our amy coney barrett episode the first one and we were talking about the Jacobson case with the forced, forced inoculation uh, the, uh, for the smallpox, that guy, back in 1905, um, and, and how Justice Barrett might rule on, on that kind of issue. Um, Roberts, in one of the opinions that we were talking about in that episode, basically said the same thing. I, th- I think it was one of the cases having to do with the church, but Roberts was basically like, yeah, we're not in the place to make these decisions. There are facts on the ground in a quickly changing situation, and we need to defer to the 
legislature and the administrative agencies to make these decisions. And, you know, it's just kind of this goes into the issue of 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 policymaking and, and other problems, because it's like, how far does the scope of being able to make policy go when the policies you're making are infringing on people's rights to go to church? You know, especially when a lot of these churches, I'm sure, would be more than willing to voluntarily take on some kind of measures, you know, maybe set people apart a little bit more or put on masks. You know, I, I you know, most most churches are pretty they're fine people and, you know, they're not people who want to stir up trouble, you know, so I'm sure that there w they would be reasonable even if, you know, even if we think that those ha don't have anything. And I don't I personally don't think that keeping people six feet apart or putting on masks, I think it does absolutely nothing. And I think the science is beginning to show that. Yeah, I think we can both attest to that. <laughs> but um, I, I but the point is, I guess that, you know, it's. uh. I think it's just what we said before. It's kind of this, it, it's part of this absolute abdication of the court, not willing to do any kind of constitutional review on certain areas of policymaking like the economy or public health, where they're just going to say, whatever, like, they know better than we do. But it's like, the policy consideration isn't the only thing going on there. There's also the constitutional question. So I think Breyer is just, you know, once again, pulling a Holmes, and he's just deferring when he shouldn't. So I'm, this is going off track a little, but I'm just a conspiracy-minded type dude, and I want to ask you, you think any special interests play into this decision or with the Supreme Court in general? Because I know special interest is a big thing in politics, but you never really hear about it coming from the Supreme Court of, you know, the problem of special interest poisoning uh, their review of the Constitution or what they rule on. So I got to ask, do you think there could be any kind of special interest at play? Well, first of all, you have to recognize that the court itself has special interests. Yeah. And I think we saw that kind of played out in cases like Hunter's Lessee um, that we talked about where the court said, we are the final arbiter of the constitutionality of things, even though the Constitution doesn't say that we are, right? And we talked yeah. about that before, I think, in our second episode. Um, well, here, well, real quick though, but here's why I, I'm when I ask this because it, the thing is, it just strikes me that this was a five to four vote. Yeah. So I gotta, I wonder, like those four that voted against, it, what's come on, like you know, they know the Constitution, and like you just said, they're not even looking at it. I think, the, I think there's a difference here between like a a a Roosevelt and a Wilson, FDR versus Wilson, right, where and I think Michael Malice has said this before, where Roosevelt was kind of this pragmatist. Uh, you know, he, he he didn't have much economic knowledge, but, you know, he was just kind of like, well, well, we'll put this lever here, we'll pull this lever here, we'll push this button, see what kind of works, what can we get past, you know, a little bit more uh, like that. Whereas Wilson was like an ideologue, where he was like, I am making the world safe for democracy, and I am, you know, he has this this high view of himself. And I think that there's a lot of that Wilsonian kind of thing going on with the court. So I'm not sure if it's as much special interests. It might be. But I think it might be more ideological and kind of an elitist kind of, you know, view of, you know, the just the government in general being the one who has to make these kind of decisions, right? And so it's like, even if the court, 
and, and the court has done this, I mean, even in Marbury, where the court gave itself the power of judicial review by restraining its power to uh, to have this uh, act because the statute gave them this, some power, and they basically said, no, that statute that's giving us this power is unconstitutional. But by doing that, they gave themselves the power of of judicial review, right? And so I think it might be something similar there where even if they're not necessarily giving themselves power here in this case, they're saying, oh, hands off, defer, defer. But, you know, they're kind of, by doing that, they're just giving more power to the government, which is, you know, their ideological love child. So I think, I think, it's, I think it's more ideological because, I mean, I, I do think that the life tenure and the fact that they're there for good no matter what is, uh, I think it does insulate them from some special interests, but I mean, not all, obviously. But I, I, I think there's more... I think there's more ideological demagoguery going on than practical kind of selling out. That's kind of more legislatures. Well, while we're on the topic of special interest, I think we've pretty much, you know, exhausted that topic right there about the Supreme Court. Decision. If, if, if you if you don't mind, I'll just I'd like to point out I'd, I would like to point out before you move on. Um, yeah, that of course. I I loved Gorsuch's opinion. Um in in his uh, part of the majority or his concurrence, right? That's what it was, and uh, his language was was really really strong, and and so uh, I think he said, at least according to the governor, it may be unsafe to go to church, but it, but it is always fine to pick up another bottle of wine, shop for a new bike, or spend the afternoon exploring your distal points and meridians. Who knew public health would so perfectly align with secular convenience? Um, and and I think he also said another thing afterwards that was basically just like you know the uh, uh, the Constitution you know isn't thrown out during a pon- during a pandemic and you know I think that's absolutely true um, you know it's just kind of like I I think even if it's true for both the uh, it's true for both the written Constitution but I think it's also true for the so- social Constitution of like you know our norms don't get thrown out from one bad you know, viral season, because it's obvious that lots of people, at least, you know, half the nation or more, do not want this. So to say that either the written constitution or the real constitution has been changed by on the circumstance, I think it's it's far too early to tell either of those things. Um, and it's, uh, it's a non-starter of an argument. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to point out that Gorsuch's, uh, Gorsuch's concern, concurrence, I, I liked it a lot. And People should check out the article to find out more about what's going on here. Yeah, like right before we move on, I do want to mention actually uh, one thing I did like that the court said in the article was members of the members of this court are not public health experts, and we should respect the judgment of those with special expertise and responsibility in this area. But even in a pandemic, the Constitution cannot be put away and forgotten. Yep. Now, that's what rational people like yeah. you and I have been saying this whole time. You know, we're not, I mean, so many people, we, we know this virus is real, but it's just not as bad as yeah. people are making it out to be. And so much is being lost because of this hoax. Yeah. But, um, and, and it's just, it's, it's just, it's, you know, the First Amendment rights is it's we've talked about substantive due process right and mm-hmm. and freedom of religion is fundamental right i mean you cannot discriminate against religions without strict scrutiny you know uh narrowly tailored 
uh, narrowly tailored regulation to a compelling government interest. And uh, I mean, these uh, these uh, these lockdowns were were like Gorsuch pointed out. You you can go to some mall where there's hundreds of people. This is what happened. So I was in. I uh, I went to my sister's for Thanksgiving, and there was a mall right down the road. And you know the governor's like, well, oh, don't have people over for Thanksgiving. But then the mall, which is like this really important mall to the area, like. The economy of the area relies on the small. Not mall of America, is it? Because I know your sister's in a uh, good old Minnesota. It was. I was trying to not oh say. I was trying God. to. I was trying to not say where I was. <laughs> we could. We could cut that. I don't, out. No, I don't. I, I don't care. They can. They can <laughs> I don't think any, anyone's going to come out. Come, here. come get me, Governor Wolf. Come. Yeah. Get, no, that's not Wolf. Wolf is from Pennsylvania. Who's a guy in Minnesota? I can't remember his name. The Gretch. The Gretch is going to come get me. But, but anyway, so, I mean, it's just, I don't see any way how you can say that this is a, uh, this is a narrowly tailored, uh, uh, or I don't don't even say how you can, well, first of all, I don't see how you can say it's a compelling government interest because the science is not out. And so, you know, I want to hold the government to a higher standard than, you know, what they're being held to. So I wouldn't even let that part pass if it were in front of me. But secondly, you know, having it be narrowly tailored, it's like you would have to show that only churches are spreaders. You'd have to show somehow that only the churches are spreading the events. Now, maybe maybe you can say, well, they sit down with each other for a longer period of time than in other places. But I mean, like it goes back to what I was saying. It's like we had Thanksgiving with, you know, maybe a dozen people or so. And uh, uh and it was fine, you know. We're around each other all day and whatever. And but you go to the Mall of America, and there's hundreds of people shopping for Black Friday, and it's open. Oh, the stores were crowded. There was yeah. no. I promise you, social distancing wasn't being practiced. Yeah. There, I there has there was people there without masks. They can't monitor everyone. So I think this goes to what you were saying before about special interests. That's where I see the special interest, where the corporations and the businesses are going to stay open, but the, the small-time churches and other things like that, family gatherings, small, business. small businesses, they got to go down. And that's the big crime of all this COVID crap is that they have eviscerated the middle class by shutting down the economy for eight months, not letting these people work, so they have to go out of business, sell their assets, liquidate for pennies on the dollar, and they all get bought up by the corporations who got the stimulus money bailouts you know, this is one of the worst things I think Trump did is that he, you know, that he signed this 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 COVID stimulus that gave this money to these connected corporations and stuff like Amazon and and so anyway, I think um, that's that's the real evil here. I I think and I I don't think it's on accident. I really don't. I think they are purposefully trying to consolidate political power in the in the governors and in the federal government and i think they're trying to consolidate economic power in the in the corporations like amazon and google and i don't think it's oh, an yeah. accident i mean you're spot on with that another thing i'll add on to that um we're they're using this as their uh yeah i don't know what's the word to use they're using this as guess their scapegoat to go yeah. into a cashless society yeah absolutely have you noticed have you, um, dude? 
I've been all you, onto this. Look, I have been on the transhumanism yeah. like yeah, so like vein look, recently. You know how many stores, like a uh, uh, little restaurants I've been to where they they're low on change or they don't have cash. You need to have exact. Change. It's ridiculous. This is something I've never had a problem mm-hmm. with in my whole life until all this started. Yeah, and. <laughs> Look at I mean, all the all the they know this. They know what they can do in an economic crash. Well, it, they know what Fed they coin, can do. Fedcoin, uh, I don't. I'm not sure exactly if it's even been voted on in Congress. I don't. I doubt. I don't. It hasn't. Um, but it's being proposed. It's being yeah. talked about around Congress. And Fedcoin, uh, for our listeners who don't know about it, is basically the Federal Reserve is going to take over cryptocurrency. Yeah, They're, we are going to be a cashless society. They can keep up with all of our transactions yep. it's going to be financial tyranny is what it is yeah and they're i promise you like you just said about the corporate yes it's all calculated chaos yeah i don't call me crazy call me conspiracy theorist all you want i know you are but people will but come on now like well it's look around people. Well, you need to look at what i mean what people like you know this guy klaus schwab in the world economic forum I mean, I know he's not a reset agenda 21 like they they, hold on before you get on to this thing that bugs me is that they keep calling us conspiracy theorists because we point out this great reset crap. And then they go out and they put it on the cover of Time magazine. Justin Trudeau does a whole little conference video about it. Complete. It's it's complete gaslighting. Yeah, they're trying. They call us crazy. Exactly. It's it's ridiculous. And I mean, they've done this before. I mean, look, I mean, after World War Two, they were saying. New World Order. After World well, War One, they were saying New World Order. They do this yeah. every time there's a serious catastrophe. This isn't it, like it's happened every time. What this reminded me of, like I was talking to a friend about this because he's, you know, he's a COVID guy. He, he believes in all the crap. And I was telling him, like, you don't under you don't see how all of this stuff was supposed to be temporary. We were supposed to be only two weeks, fifteen days. Uh, we weren't, you know the. First, we weren't even supposed to wear the mask. Like, everything is just changing so fast, and they keep making up all these BS excuses while we need to lock down more and more. Yeah. They are making this a new normal. It's, you know yeah. what, it, this, what it reminds me of was not after 9-11, the Patriot Act, militarizing the police. All of that was supposed to be temporary. According to our government, that was only supposed to be a temporary measure, and we still have it all today. Well, here's the thing, too. The Patriot Act was written in, what, the late 90s, right? And they shelved it. Same thing, I think, is going on here, where it's just they have these plans. Because I mean, if you look into the if you look into the coronavirus research that was going on in Wuhan, funded by you know uh, uh, American politicians, I think Fauci and Gates had something to do with the coronavirus research in the Wuhan lab, um, where this damn thing probably came out of. Uh, so uh, you know, it's just like uh, yeah. It's like they will talk about it in out in the open about how they want to do these. They want to do this, and then we're surprised when it happens. So it's yeah. uh, the thing they can do though is because it sounds so crazy when you don't pay attention, you know. And they know that most people don't pay attention. I mean, I I can grant that it when you're talking about a worldwide conspiracy, it sounds crazy. But the fact of the matter is that it's happened over and over and over again. We have so many examples. From, you know, like I said, the founding of the United Nations, the founding of the League of Nations, uh, all these different kind of where these people were coming together to do the new world order that and yeah. they say it themselves. And so just, yeah. 
I don't care how what people say about that. The New World Order is real, and we're seeing it unfold uh, fully in yeah. front of us right now. We've seen glimpses of it in the past, but now it's all showing up. And this I mean, is, and this is for me why I think you know the the populist nationalist issue is so interesting because I understand that nationalism the problem is that nation and state become conflated with the nation yeah. state right that's the problem Rothbard points this out how nations by consent nations are not the same as the state the nation is you know the real constitution the social norms language religion etc but then uh, you know we we have uh, uh, where was I going I lost my train of thought Talk about nations of consent and how... Yeah, so it's like... Oh, yes, so the, the nationalism issues. So it's like, you know, I'm no I'm no nationalist in the sense of, of statism. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who's like, you know, America is better because it's America. You know, I'll say America is better because I think we have free speech. I'll say America is better because we have gun rights, right? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll look at specific things, specific actual values and propositions that I think are good or bad. And when there's other things in other nations that I look at, I'll say that's good. Like sometimes I think if we're going to have voting, maybe it would be better if we had a multi-party system where you had like ranked voting. That's something I thought that maybe that would be better. Get more voices in a legislature, less, you know, consolidation of power. That might be a good thing. I don't, you know, I don't know for sure, but that's an idea that appeals to me from a sense of yeah. if we're going to have this legislative monster, maybe that would be a better check on it, right? Well, like an idea that, like going off what you said, an idea that really appeals to me is the way, uh, I think it's Sweden and how they handle, it may be Sweden or Switzerland, but how they handle immigration. Yeah. They let the communities uh, vote on it. Yeah. And I, you know, community by community, they rule whether they want immigrants or not. And I think that's a great way of handling that issue because I can tell you there's some areas in the United States like mine where we welcome immigrants and they help us out a ton and they are a great part of our community and our economy. There are other parts of this nation where not so much, where it actually kind of creates problems. And, you know, we're not, of course, we'll be labeled racist and shit for saying that, but we're not. That's no. just, let's face it, we're, like you said, we're humans. Exactly. Uh, we're sinners and uh, there's going to be cultural classes. There's going to be cultural conflict. Right. And so, so, so what I'm, what I want to get at is that, you know, when you have it's, it's kind of like the religion versus the state, the nation versus the world order. It's like it's probably better if you have a nationalist kind of populist thing, as compared to, you know, the new world order with you know, vaccination tracking and cashless society and and all this, you know, drones watching you and all your all your Alexa recording all of your conversations and sending the information to the CIA. I mean, it's like, say, uh... it's just like, yeah, I don't want to have any states at all. I want to have true nations by consent. But, you know, when we're looking at what we have right now or what might be better for the prospects of liberty in the future... I'm going to go America first before New World Order. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. That's the perfect way to bring us into our next topic and the election. It's still not really on technical terms clear yet who won because of all these investigations being done. And I I hate to say this because I'm not a Trump guy. I hate him. 
really though so I want him to win. And like I know, I know. Really, really, him four more years of him would at least offset the new world order for a little bit. So there's in a lot of areas. I can I can I can summarize my support for Donald Trump in a single visual image. Yeah. <laughs> for the people for all our listeners. <laughs> Davey, I mean David is flipping <laughs> off the camera right now. Like, I mean, I'm with him. I, that's that's the number one reason for Trump right there. Whereas, what would be your visual representation for Biden? Uh, Don't pull down your pants and stick your butthole in the camera. Oh, he's doing a little old person. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you sicko! <laughs> he just he just imitated an old person freezing up into a fetal position. But you're right. Um, you're exactly right, and. You know, I do, again, I want to talk to you about the legal things, because I asked you before the show, and you said, maybe it has a chance of reaching the courts. But holy crap, man. If this was an election in any other country, America would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. We'd be inserting ourselves, yeah. and we would be legitimizing it for what on our view. And imagine if a nation came in and did that here with what's going on right now. Well, th- that, was, that was a great point. By uh, uh, that was a great point that um, uh, Ron Paul would make when he was talking about the wars, and he'd be like, "How would you like it if China had a military base in the heart of Texas?" You know, you wouldn't. And so, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah, I, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. The thing with me that really bothers me is the double standards, especially in the media. The political class is part of it too, obviously, but the media is just so, just, oh gosh, it's, I mean, four years ago, Russia collusion, Russia collusion, in uh, illegal election, not my president. Mail-in ballots, the Democrats were crying about mail-in ballots. Right, They, they were crying about all this crap and then immediately when it benefits them, Oh, cleanest election ever. No questions asked. Don't look here. Just move on. You know, and and I remember when 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 Biden was asked, because I think they I think they thought they were going to lose. I do. I think the Democrats. I I think. Yeah, I think everyone kind of did. Actually, it was a shock. Yeah, I think the Democrats thought they were going to lose because when Biden was asked, are you going to wait? until final certification by the Electoral College to declare victory, he said, absolutely. And then, two days after the election, he's parading around like the winner. I mean, nobody holds these people feet to the fire. There is no standard, because it's all just power. And this is a point that I'm going to want to reiterate when we get to our next Sheldon Richmond issue, is that we take a real politic kind of view here. We don't take these people at face value. We don't take what they're saying at face value. You have to understand the context of everything. And, you know, it's just, yeah, that, that's one. It's just the double standards and the gaslighting and the absolute just hypocrisy of, of the political class and the media class is just, it, it just really makes me, it just really makes, it's just concerning about where we're going. But also at the same time, I see... I see things that give me hope. I really do. Yeah. I, I see things that 
make me think that people aren't buying this. I think people aren't buying the COVID hoax. I think yep. that people aren't buying the the election bullcrap. The I I don't think that. I mean, even if Biden is installed, and they have whatever, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are like, no. Well, yes. and I think there might. I think there might be straight up like yeah. anything that he passes. We will not follow. Like, I think that might happen where people yeah. just say, if Biden signs it into law, it is not law. We are not following this. And that might be crazy. Well, that was a great point that gave me a little bit of a op more optimistic view when I went to the Ron Paul symposium last uh, last month. You know, that what he said was there's going to be a lot of resistance. Uh, people are mad. And this is like the first time where the right-wing, conservative, John Birch Society types are looking at their own government and saying, whoa. Yeah. Like, I mean, this la these last four years have made, Trump's made a lot of common populist type people realize about the deep state. That is huge. That's a huge point. And if Biden is forcibly installed, which I 100% think he will be, yeah, I'm with you. I think we're going to see a lot of resistance. And... My biggest hope is that, you know, I really do think Biden's going to launch us into another war. Absolutely. My biggest hope is that we have an anti-war movement revival yeah. big time. And if we do, I'll be on the front lines. You have my word on that. But, well, it's I, gonna, I, yeah, I mean. It's going to be so weird. It's going to perfectly encapsulate America when the right is anti-war and the left is trumpeting for the corporate war. I and mean, what is police this? Police powers, the money, like money issues. That, watch, we're going to, I mean, someone made a funny Surveillance? Yeah, we're about to, Surveillance? We're, yes. But we're also about to see a bunch of Republicans start to see spending, start cussing spending more, which, yeah, they do flip-flop on that. But, yeah. hey, man, I, as long as they're cussing it, I'm fine with that. But, yeah, I mean... We're about. I I really do think we're going to see a lot of resistance on that front. But I want to ask you, what are the chances that you think this even goes to the courts? They they do do consolidated cases where multiple cases have the same kind of issue. Now, it uh it might be kind of uh you know it might be kind of hard to do that because it seems that the different states have different challenges. You know, it's like in Arizona, you have the Sharpies. In Michigan, you have the the ballots underneath the table and, and the tabulating machines. In Pennsylvania, you have the mail-in ballots. So it, it might... That's what makes me concerned that it won't go to the courts is that there's too many different challenges all at once and in order to consolidate the cases would be nearly impossible, which means that the court, if it were to rule on them all, would have to rule on like what six or seven or more cases from all of these swing states within a span of however many days, which might be, which might not be practically possible because the case the cases might not even get up that far. Whether or not the litigants give up, they run out of money. You know, some corrupt judge kills the case and then they can't go. So it's it's a maybe for me, but I think that. The reason I think that it might go to the courts is because it's just so important. Yeah, and I think that it, I think that that alone might just be the impelling force that just just pushes these cases through. Because I mean, all of them are being expedited, all of them are being ruled on. Like, hey, 
we need to rule on this now. Like all these other cases that we have on the docket, they need to get pushed back. And like that's happening. And so if it's going to get up to the Supreme Court, that's the the way it's going to have to go. Um, so my my I guess my answer would be the one side it's it might be practically very it might be very impractical for it to get to the courts at least in a very succinct clear manner um but also it's so freaking important that they might just it might just have to happen anyway because i mean the court doesn't want half of the population to lose complete faith in the electoral system but it might it might be to the point that that's going to happen no matter what it, if biden gets in the trumpers aren't going to accept it and if trump gets in the, the Biden people are gonna they're going to yeah so it it the the court might be in a catch 22 and they might just pop their popcorn and kick up their heels and say well guys it's been a good run you know who knows I was, yeah i was going to say like if, if anything one thing is guaranteed that this is going to make the country more divisive absolutely now this leads me into my second question for you regarding this do you think we'll know who will be president by january 20th because that's a real concern right now. A concern that I never thought I'd hear in my lifetime that, hey, by Inauguration Day, we still may not know who's actually the president. Because Bush won on, like, January 7th. Something like, like 13 that. 13 days before. It Something was crazy. like that, yeah. Uh, and that was one case. That was one state. And all that time with the hanging chads, that was one state. Imagine now we have... Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and maybe even Nevada. So that's what, six, seven states? I mean... I didn't even realize it was that much. Yeah. So that's like, whew, that's a, that's a tough road to tow. Uh, but I'm, if I had to go out on a limb, I will say that on January 20th, if I mean, if Biden's installed, then that's kind of it. I think Trump yeah. will leave. I think Trump will leave, but he's not going to concede. Yeah. And he's going to spend the next, I mean, probably the rest of his life, if he doesn't get reelected in 2024, he's going to spend the rest of his life saying, I was robbed. And yep. he's going to keep stoking those flames. Like, th this doesn't, it doesn't end on, I know that you're not saying it ends on January 20th. You're just wondering who's going to, you know, take the reins of power. But even if Biden takes the reins of power, he's still going to have Trump yapping over his shoulder on his Twitter yeah. feed if Twitter doesn't kick him off. And he's going to be saying, you're a fraud, you're a fake. And he's going to, his followers aren't going to go with him. I think they will. Did, did you see the rally he had? I, I mean, I've seen the rallies. I mean, I remember seeing, I remember seeing Pennsylvania on the campaign trail and it was did like, Did you see wow. the post-election no, rally? I have not seen Dude, any, but I'm huge. sure it's. It's, they're all chanting his name, pumping their fists. I mean, okay, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying Trump's a Nazi, because I, I don't believe <laughs> that at all. But this literally looks like when Hitler's talking to his followers, and they're all, and I'm like, holy hell, even if yeah. Biden is installed, he's got hell to deal with. Yeah. This whole, this nation's going to be a lot more divided, and that's all I thought when I saw that. Yeah. And, you know, Phil Bishop from the Mises Institute, he made a good point. Could you imagine if Trump, held his own counter rally during the inauguration like somewhere close to that and i'm the real president 
Yeah. This is I the mean, real inauguration. And he he's the type of motherfucker to do something like that. I know. That. It would be beautiful. I would love that. Yeah. Um, but um, unless you got anything else to say, I'm pretty much wrapped up on this. Yeah. Well, I I guess my final my my final point would just be uh um it's it's it is scary, but it's also exciting. Yeah. And and this is something I I said to to Dr. Herbener when I was in when I was at the Mises Institute in June for the Rothbard Graduate Seminar, and we were we were talking about you know these kooky Antifa people who were trying to hold a hold a march in his in his you know Grove City little small college town in in Western Pennsylvania, and he said that a lot they like uh, they like published the route they were going to walk down or something like that like people knew where they were going so literally like the houses along the route of the Antifa like rally like people were just sitting out on their porches with guns like just just, just sitting on their porch with a shotgun <laughs> like as the antifa Good. people walk by but um what i said to him was you know we were just talking about that and 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 how things are you know kind of frustrating and a little scary and i just said to him you know it's uh it's an exciting time to be alive and he he kind of gave me a look like you know what i mean but it's like I, he understood what i was saying but but and even I looked back on it and I was like, you know, maybe someone could take that the wrong way of saying, oh, this is an exciting time to be alive when there's so much, you know, like so much fear and concern, you know. But it is in the sense of what I meant by it was, like you said, there are a lot of people who are waking up to the deep state. There are a lot of people who are realizing that this is all a sham and this is all a fraud. And the night is darkest just before the dawn. And. I think that, you know, it could go bad. It really could. I mean, you know, we've had a civil war in the past and, you know, it's absolutely possible that things can go the wrong way. That's always a, a possibility. But and I don't want a war. And I don't want a war either. That's yeah. the last thing I want. I want to live peacefully and, you know, get a wife and kids. You know, that's what I want. Yeah. But um, the the point is that because there's a lot of people waking up to the corporate press to the politicians, to the sham of democracy, I think that that holds a really big possibility for decentralization, where people just like we can't do this anymore. And yeah. you know, I, you know, Joe Becker really got me thinking about that more in one of his last answers to our questions when we asked him about the election when he was on, and he was just like, he said that he has a hard time seeing how secession could really happen because it's like the it's not red versus blue states. It's red versus blue, like counties. It's red versus yeah. blue, metro versus rural. So the real divide isn't, you know, between, you know, uh, uh, Illinois and Missouri. The 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 divide is between, you know, rural Missouri and St. Louis, yeah. or or you know, rural, rural Illinois, Illinois and, and Chicago. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the divide. So it's like. If the state secedes, then the problem still exists, but it is at a smaller scale. Which is why decentralization is the best. Right. So I think that I, I can understand his point. I do share the same concerns that it, it might be impractical unless there's like an actual redrawing of state lines and like the states we have might not need to secede. We might need to like have one state 
turn into two or three, you know, like Illinois might have to turn into Metro Chicago being basically like a city state and, you know, rural Illinois becoming a, you know, a whatever, you know, that might be the way it has to go. Is that feasible? I don't, I have no idea how that would happen practically. Uh, Maybe sheriffs, maybe sheriffs and counties, county commissioners just saying, keep out of the county states you know yeah. that that might i mean maybe kyle from burning boots is going to lead the charge on that with his free county yeah. project but uh anyway so yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely concerning but we need to we need to keep an eye on the optimistic and we need to keep driving yeah. home we need to keep driving at home peace peaceful divorce peaceful divorce peaceful divorce we need to keep driving yes. that home because we need to save ourselves from a possible bloody conflict because that is not what we are about you hear that Fed boys, that is not what we're about. Yeah, and I'll I'll end it on this. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately. Like, I wonder, is this what the '60s kind of felt like growing up through that? Yeah. Seeing the president be kind of forcibly taken away from us, uh, and you know, I mean, JFK, he was going to do some pretty great things until the deep state got him, and yeah, and also like the Detroit know, riots. Yeah, and like well, well like snipers on snipers on buildings, yeah, shooting cops, like straight yeah. up. It, Detroit was a war zone for like a year, and I think we're gonna we're seeing that in the inner cities today with all the riots and not as bad as it was in Detroit in '68, but I think it could get there. Yeah, and especially if like I just like we just talked about the country becomes more divided because yeah. of this election, and my only hope is that if this is another 1960s and people from all sides are waking up to the fact that hey there is something going wrong here and we get our left leftist and our right wingers and we we build these coalitions to be anti-war anti-corporatist anti-whatever all my only thing is we can't make the same mistakes we did back then yeah um we bought in, I think the right wing bought into the left wing a little too much on issues and gave them too much legitimacy. But I think at that time, we weren't focused on secession. We weren't focused on decentralization. We were focused on, well, how can we bring America back? Right. There is no bringing America back. I'm sorry. I know on November 22nd, 1963, the American dream died. Right. And they didn't learn the lesson then that, hey, maybe America's dead. We need to break up. And they didn't. They didn't learn that then. We need to know that now. I th- I think you're right. I think the real constitution, the social, the social cohesion, the the glue of of culture that that and, and you know America was always a culturally divided country. That was that's always for sure. But there was more cohesion than there is now. Yeah. And I think and I think at this point, you know, I, I think the only way to avoid violence is to say that we have to stop fighting over the gun in the room. I mean, that's yeah. if as long as we have the one as long as we have the one state, the one federal government where whoever has 50 plus 1, 50% plus 1, whoever has that can point the gun and expropriate taxation from the other side and put them to what they want. As long as we keep going forward with that, this isn't going to this isn't going to fix. So, you know what? May, you know, uh the road to the road to freedom can be cumbersome and it might require, you know, it might require self-defense. It really might. And, you know, that's just life. But the thing is that, uh, you know, sometimes you got to, I mean, that's what our founders knew. Sometimes you got to fight for a better future. Before we wrap up and put our plugs in, 
I need to say one thing because I don't know how we forgot this on our pre-show notes, but it just occurred to me. Walter Williams, the great Walter Williams ah, left yes. us. And uh, I just want to say, you know, rest in peace to him. Condolences to his family. Great man. Great communicator of the free market. And I have a little uh, personal story that kind of ties me up with Walter Williams, and I want to tell it really quick. So growing up, my interest in economics came from my dad. And it was when my dad, growing up, uh, eating breakfast, I'm watching Sesame Street, my underwear, nothing else, eat my cereal. My dad would always read the paper, and when he got to certain articles, he'd read them out loud to me. Well, he always read the economics articles about the free market to me out loud, and uh, you know that always stuck with me. Those those things when you when you when you read those things every day, every week, growing up, they kind of stick in your mind, even if you don't realize it. So as I was growing up and I got into economics, I was like, oh no, that's how it's supposed to be, even without having to open a book and learn it myself. So when I finally did start learning economics myself, I read I read a little bit of Walter Williams. Well, as soon as I was reading Walter Williams, I was like, wait a minute, this is all. This, this just sounds familiar to me. The way this is all worded, the ideas he's presenting, this sounds familiar to me. So I one day I, I go up to my dad and I'm like, uh, what do you know about Walter Williams? And first thing he says is, that's the guy I grew up reading to you. All his articles were syndicated every week in my local newspaper. And my dad would read those articles to me. So to Walter Williams, I want to say thank you very much for creating that bond between me and my dad that will last forever. But also thank you for helping push me into this great interest of economics that I have. And I couldn't be any more thankful for that. And for anyone, uh, you know, who is not familiar with his work, please go watch the documentary uh, Paved with Good Intentions. Uh, uh, I think it may may just be called Good Intentions, but it's a great documentary. I, I watched it right after he passed and also Suffer No Fools. Those are two great documentaries he made. He's great. I mean, there's I could talk about him for hours, but anything you want to say about that day before we hit our plugs? Yeah, I'll just say that, uh, you know, Walter Williams for me was never a guy I got too much into. I always knew who he was, you know, definitely had respect for him and everything I've ever uh, heard him say or read from him uh, was always something I agreed with. Um, uh, never was one guy that I got too deep into. Um, but absolutely, you know, the little bit that I did see, I absolutely recognized his, his, uh, his understanding, his, his depth of thought, his, and, and his, uh, great, um, his great prose. I mean, very, very well spoken, very well spoken, very good writer. So, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I echo everything that you said, uh, rest in peace and, uh, thank you to him for everything he did to, uh, to help people understand liberty. Well, with that. Um, follow me on Twitter at Shreddy D on Instagram at Shreddy Shrugged. Uh, what's the Law of Liberty handle for Twitter? At Law of Liberty Pod. Follow that. Please give us a review on iTunes. Those help out a ton. Uh, follow Dave at Funkhoff. Hoff Funk. The the the, the name is Funkhoff, but the handle was already taken, so I had to go Hoff Funk. So there's three there's three F's in there. I know it's H O F F F U N K. It's kind of weird, but, uh, but it is what it is. Yeah, just hit us up on there. Uh, I want to do an episode soon where we get some questions from listeners. So if you guys yeah. have any questions, please DM us because both our DMs are open on Twitter. Yeah, DM us or join the Discord. Um, we're in oh there. yeah, yeah. Plug Discord. We need yeah. to plug that for. Yeah, we'll we'll have the we'll have the uh, link in the in the description for the episode. 
Um, but yeah, please join the Discord. We're having a lot of fun there. Um, and, we're trying to get link, as many people. Is that is that link in the Twitter bio as well? I think so. Yes. So okay, you can find uh, that there too. But yeah, with that, thank you, listeners, and have a great week. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks everyone for tuning in. This has been the Law of Liberty podcast. We'll see you next time.